but they're necessary. Uh, so we're, we're, in, we're talking about 1 Corinthians, and we, we've, we've gone through quite a progression, and we've looked at a number of different, we're calling this messy churches, because as we've seen, um, the, the first century church in Corinth had a lot of messes that Paul's trying to address and clean up, because it was, a, it was what we call it the early church for a reason. It was brand new. It was something that had never existed before, and, and people that were largely new to, new to the faith, because the faith itself was new. And so Paul had a lot of, there was a lot of wrestling in, uh, with, with issues and, and how, do we, how do we create this, this new culture that God is calling us to? What does it look like? How do we, how do we function? What parts, of, what parts of our lives need to change and what parts can stay? And so we've looked at a number of different issues. Last week, we started uh, in chapter 12 where Paul is talking about these things called spiritual gifts. Um, spiritual gifts are, are, and we'll get back into them today, this, this amazing, wonderful, somewhat uh, at times mysterious uh, gift of the Holy Spirit that, that breathes into our lives. And today, uh, we're going to continue that discussion, but I want to do something a little weird. Um, uh, I mentioned last week, which, by the way, my apologies, last week, I, I, that was by far the most I have missed my notes Ever. I had roughly 12 pages of notes, and normally, almost always, I get through all my notes. Um, last week, I got through half of them. Um, so, so we're just going to pick up where we left off. But we said that last week, um, we are, we're taking chapter 12 and chapter 14, and, and then we're going to look at chapter 13 next week because 12 and 14 actually are on the same topic and 13 is kind of the counterbalance to that. So we're, we're still in that, that mode. Um, but one thing I want to do today is we're actually going to start with the last passage in chapter 14. Um, and the reason I'm doing this is because it, it, it's, a, a, it's a part of Scripture, it's an important Scripture that I feel like uh, we need to talk about just because it... it um, it's controversial to some degree. It, it, it gets brought up a lot, and I don't want to. I, I don't think we should ever. We, we should never be afraid of scripture, <laughs> right? It, it, if it's it's all there, it's all good, it's all inspired, and so there is there is there isn't a, a scripture that we should we should be afraid to talk about. And so th this is one that I, I think it's important to talk about because it's one of much contention within within the church world, and then also it's one that's co commonly used. Um, from critics of the church to, 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 to characterize us in a certain way. Um, and, and so I wanted to, to talk on this, but this isn't the main focus, or, uh, the primary focus by any stretch of the text we're going through. And, and I didn't want to end on it, so we're just going to do it at the beginning and then we'll get into the, <laughs> the rest of it. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but it did to me, so that's what we're going to do. Um, all right, so, so we're actually skipping kind of ahead to, to the end of chapter 14, starting in verse 33. We'll just read it, and then we'll, we'll jump in. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of, of God's holy people. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home. For it is improper for a woman to speak, uh, to speak in church meetings. Or do you think God's word originated with you, Corinthians? Are you the only ones to whom it was given? 
Anybody want to take a stab at it? <laughs> uh, yes. Um, th- this, this, I, as I said, this verse is, it, it, it sets, and, and understandably so, on its face, in, in its, in its, without understanding the context of what's going on and having appreciation for the fact that this is, this is second language translation, right? It wasn't written. I mean, no, this was, this, Paul didn't write in English. Um, and so this is a, this is a transliteration of a, of a text. And so sometimes tone doesn't get, uh, doesn't get translated very well, um, um, you guys, I'm sure, are, are aware of that. We all, if you text in, in, in your life, you understand how, how meaning can get lost in, in translation, <laughs> literally, in texting, right? How many times have, have you gotten mad at somebody because you, you saw their text and, and to you they were mad at you and then you come to find out, oh no, they just uh, forgot to punctuate properly, or they, they they didn't put their little they didn't put their smiley emoji like they used to, and they didn't mean to not do it. They just forgot. It's all it was. Um, okay, so there's a lot of different understandings of this verse, um, and, and I'm going to just give you a few, uh, and then I'm going to share kind of the the one that I think uh, I think makes the most sense, um, and I think is the most faithful to the text. Uh, the first one is that some, some, there are some scholars that would say that this, is, this was an interpolation. Basically, it just means it was added on later. Um, there's really very little foundation for this. Um, uh, the primary reason if you, people do this is so that they can then ignore it, um, which is never a, a good motivation for, for your understanding of Scripture. Um, so, so we, we're not, we, I don't consider that one a, a, a super valid one. It's not even a very popular one, but it is out there. Um, and so I just want to give you some, some, some of the flavors of some of the ways that people look at, look at these scriptures. Um, some other people take this, this verse to mean that, that women should have no voice in church meetings. They take it on its English transla- translated version, just word for word, take the sentence, that's what it is. Um, some people take this verse to, to say that, that women shouldn't pray in tongues or prophesy in corporate meetings. Because as you'll see later on in, in, in the messages we, we get into the body of it, that's, that's what the chapter is mostly about. Um, again, I don't think that that's a great, a great understanding of this verse. And, and then some people believe that, that verse 34 and 35 Paul is actually quoting the, uh, an argument that the Corinthians... Remember, this is a letter. The Corinthian church had these issues, and he received information about all of the stuff that was going on. And so this is a response to that. This letter is a response. And so sometimes he answers a question, and we, don't have the, we just have his answer. We don't have the question itself. Does that make sense? And, and sometimes, some people believe in this, verse 34 and 35, that Paul is actually, the part where it says, you know, women should be silent. It's not proper for them to speak. He's actually quoting the statement that he is he is bringing clarity to in verse 36. Um, which makes some sense, but I, I, I personally, that's not, that's not my, my favorite understanding of it. Um, but, but that one's out, out there as well. Uh, so so, so where, where do, and, and again, this is, we are not talking about 
This is a secondary issue, okay? This is not, this is not about salvation, the nature of God. This is not, um, and so there is room for us as brothers and sisters in Christ to disagree about the meaning of, of, of the interpretation of some of these things. Um, that's, not, that's not fun, right? It's much more enjoyable that if we all just always agreed on everything. <laughs> and and that's what we, we genuinely like to do. And we like to do that so much that typically what happens, we see it in culture and sadly we see it in the church. The way we accomplish that is we only hang around people who happen to agree with us. Right? Uh, and that's not, what, that's not what Scripture teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches. Our, our, our arms should be, especially within in the Christian faith, within our family of God, we need to, in our hearts... Um, and in our, in our practice, certainly there are fences of orthodoxy. There are certain non-negotiables. But within that, within that we, we should have a heart that is open to someone, even if we don't agree on every little thing. Um, and sometimes the thing isn't, isn't insignificant. This is not how, this play, how you interpret this verse plays out significantly in how, how we function as a body, right? And so there are times where functionally it may be difficult or maybe even to some degree impossible for, for your understanding and my understanding of this scripture to play out in harmony in, in a specific local body. And so there, there may be, um, so, you, you know, you may be having a, a worship, expressing your worship over there and this, this body and, and, and we're over here. Um, that doesn't give us an excuse to not be one in spirit with each other. And there's, there's a world of difference. Okay. So all that to say, those are some, some thoughts. Okay. So you guys are probably not even hearing any of that because you just want to want the tension to be over. What does this mean? <laughs> um, okay, what do we know? One, we know that this, this section, this, this, this whole section of the letter, Paul is talking about orderly worship, right? That's the purpose of it. They have questions and there's, there's this, things are getting chaotic in their, in their corporate meetings. And Paul is trying to bring order so that it could be productive, okay? That's the overall goal um, that everyone agrees that's what he's doing in this section, and in, the, in this section, the rest of what we see are instructions that he gives that give a clear vision for how that can be accomplished. But what he isn't giving is a concrete agenda. Okay? He, he is not giving, he is not giving a, a um, he's talking, he's teaching them how to have an orderly worship service. He is not giving them an order of service. We've talked about this a number of weeks ago, the if you understand the difference. Orderly worship is the way things are going to be done, the principles that guide us, the guardrails that, that keep us in line. Order of service is, I don't have one, but the, it's the literal call sheet that we use to, to say, okay, at, at 10.15, you know, at 10.10, our little five-minute clock goes down. And then at 10.15, the, you know, the online pops up, and we start singing, and we sing for however long, and we're going to do these four songs, and then we're going to give these announcements if pastor remembers, and then, uh, and then, <laughs> then we're going to have a message. And that's the order of service, okay? That's not what Paul is giving us in this section. And so it, when you're 
looking at scripture, um, it's important to take genres and take sections and, and interpret them within themselves, right? So, so what is this section, what is the context of this section? And in this section, Paul is giving, giving vision and not these specific universal, unilateral commands for time and eternity. That's not what he's doing here. I think we would all agree with that. Um, later in the, in the verses we see, he, he talks about, he gives, a, he gives instructions like, no more, like two or three people pray in tongues um, if there's an interpretation. He says, let two or three prophesy and then have a time where people can, can um, question and evaluate what they're saying. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. And he says, generally, and then at the end of that part, he just says, the important thing here is speak one at a time so people can hear each other, take turns, defer to each other. It's a principle he's trying to, trying to establish. We know that Paul has already, here's another thing we know from a few weeks ago. Um, we know that Paul has already spent a considerable amount of this letter it's not even another book. This letter teaching about how women should properly prophesy and speak in tongues in a meeting. That was verse, chapter 11, verse 5. He says, but a woman, remember this one, dishonors her head if, if she prays or prophesies without covering her head, for this is the same as shaving her head. I'm not going to go back into all that craziness, but the point is... <laughs> He, he, chapter 11, he spends a lot of time explaining how, how women can orderly do those things and, and properly and reflect the right expression um, of, uh, uh, in their culture for doing those things. And so it doesn't make sense. We can't say that in chapter, chapter 11, he sets out these parameters to empower them to do it. And then in chapter 14, now he just like changed his mind or, you know, whatever, had a, had a change of heart. And now he's saying, never mind, forget chapter 11. Just it, it's all, it's all I, I, valid, I invalidate all of that. That's obviously not what he's doing here. We also see in the passage that Paul elaborates... Um, by giving the solution to the problem that, that he's, he's trying to address. And, and I don't understand really why, why um, this isn't more clear to a, a lot of people. Because to me it just makes, you know, it just makes good, good common sense, not even scholarly sense. Uh, if you just take the whole section, it, it kind of answers itself. Uh, we've seen the, uh, he says that if they have questions, they should ask their husbands at home. This makes me believe that, that keeping silence is reference to questions that, that these women uh, were having in service. Wasn't talking about prophecy, wasn't talking about prayer, wasn't a universal command. Why do I think that? Because that's what he said. Right? We just, sometimes we, we stop reading too soon. Um, he, he says, if they have questions. So that's the context of, of, of the admonition. And this makes sense from what we know of, of the culture. Women at that time, um, especially in the early church, they didn't have, um, they weren't, they weren't, didn't have access to, to as much education as men, um, especially in, with, with religious studies. And so, um, have you ever been in a meeting where there's like a group of people and you're trying to get something accomplished or you're trying to, you know, figure out this project and there's like, Four or five of you that are working, and then somebody else comes in, fresh new into the project, 
Um, and maybe it's your, maybe it's the boss, you know, and you've been working on this thing for months and months and months, and then they come in, and, and you're trying to just have a meeting, and every three seconds they've got they've got a question. Well, what about this? Have you thought about doing this? What about that? I don't know about that. Explain this to me. And you, and you get frustrated because you can't get through what you've done because you've covered all that already, right, in, in this group. And now there's, th- I, I think that's a good uh, representation of what was going on here. Th- there was women that, that wanted to learn and had, and they were voicing, they were asking their questions and, and interrupting the, the, what was going on in the service, to get clarification, and Paul is, Paul is saying, no, that we, we're never going to get anything done this way, all right? It, you, you, your role, we, remember we talked about headship. You, it, go, if you have questions, go, go home, let your husband explain that to you, let your covering explain that to you, so you can learn, so that you can be equipped, right? And, and again, as you're equipped, you can participate, because again, we don't, chapter 11, we're not saying, we're not saying you can't play. We're not saying you can't have a voice. It, it's really, it, it fell on gender lines because of the culture, but this really isn't an admonition solely based on gender. Does that make sense? It, it, it's one of education. It's one of equipping. It's one of experience. Um, and so that's, that's my take on it. You, you can take one of the other ones uh, or, or, or something else. Um, that's, and we can, still, we can still be friends and brothers and, and, and love each other. Um, but that, that's, my, um, that's my understanding of this scripture. Um, does, is that, does that make any sense? Does that clear up some things maybe, I hope? Okay, good. All right, we good? Great. Okay. Back to where we left off. We're talking about the, the, the gifts that God offers us is what, what we, where we left off last week. Um, we talked about how it's, it's an important part of the full life of Christ is operating in the gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to work in us and through us. It's also important that we accept that God wants to give you gifts. But God wants to give you some gifts. He doesn't want to give you all the gifts. Now, that may sound stingy, <laughs> but it's not. Because we've talked about last week, a primary focus of the reason for the gifts is to equip us to bless and, 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 and together represent Jesus in the earth. He doesn't want to give, he doesn't want to give uh, any of us all the gifts. Why? Because he knows us. He knows if, that I'm, if I'm a self-contained unit, if I got all the things I need in myself, I am going to just be unto myself. And so he creates a system in which we need each other. There is an interdependence in the body of Christ. And if you remember, you know, he gives the illustration of the body and how, you know, the eye needs the hand and the hand needs the foot and all those, all those things. So it's important that we, we understand that God wants to give us gifts, but he doesn't want to give you all of them. Verse 28 of chapter 12 says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? 
Of course not. It just makes it very clear. Of course not. This is, this is an obvious thing that, that Paul is saying to, to him anyway, and to the, their expression. Um, and it's important. Why are we starting out there? That's not like a super faith-filled statement maybe. But it's, it's important because it can create some unhealthy thoughts, perspectives, and even doctrines if we don't remember this. It's really important. Uh, if, if, we don't, if we don't appreciate that fact that, that God, gives, God wants to give us some gifts but not all the gifts, it, it's easy for us to uh, at times maybe feel less than or get frustrated if that's our expectation. Um, it's easy for us. We can go too far and make our pursuit of certain gifts um, our primary pursuit. Listen, Pursuing the gifts, we'll see it a couple of times in this text. Paul urges us to pursue the gifts. But pursuing the gifts is always far second to pursuing the giver of the gift. Pursuing Jesus. Adoring him. Trying to be like him. And next week we're going to look at what that really looks like and how that actually empowers and informs this, even our understanding of the gifts and their purpose. Um, we can go too far and make, make our, our pursuit of certain gifts our primary focus or certain ones that we really think would be neat to have, you know, or certain ones that we think are, 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 are you know, sign, maybe signs of like, well, if I had that, I really know God loves me or I really know I'd be, I'm spiritually mature um, or I'd, I would have a certain level of, of clout in a certain circle of people. Ooh, he can do that, you know. Um, it can also, uh, another thing that can happen if we don't accept this, this, this idea that God gives and wants to give gifts, but not all the gifts to every person, um, we can, well, another reaction we can do is we can water down the gifts or what they, what they are, what their expression is, so that we can say we have them. <laughs> Right? Uh, it, 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 there's a, there's a, a temptation or in, 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 in some, some circles where uh, we just lower the bar of our definition of, of, of the gifts of the Spirit to the point where they're not, really, um, they're not really spiritual gifts anymore. They're just, they're just regular gifts. Right? <laughs> they're, just, they're just natural gifts. They're, they're talents. They're, and, and that's not what Paul in this part is talking about. He is talking about spiritual gifts, things that are empowered by the Spirit that on your own, you, we as human wouldn't have the ability to do. But that's not to say that just because you haven't, uh, you, you haven't experienced a certain gift that you won't ever, because Paul ends his thought this way in verse 31. He says, but earnestly seek or desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still a more excellent way. He's saying this isn't a static thing. Again, like everything, it's a relationship. We are pursuing a, a living and active God. We have a, a, a Savior who is alive and is in real relationship, real-time relationship with us. And, and, and things progress. He wants to see us mature. There are, there are things that God has for you. There are things that the, the Holy Spirit is willing to, to work in you and through you. Um, that you have not yet experienced in your life if you, will, if you will continue to seek and pursue him. And that is true for everyone in this room. And I know that because you're all still breathing. And as long as that statement is true, 
There is still, there is still vision, there is still calling, there is still purpose, there is still more in God to explore. Why would he tell us to desire the, the higher gifts if there wasn't an opportunity to walk in them? Also, God will use us situationally. A lot of times in this, we're talking about the, you know, the gifts of the Spirit, and, and we're talking about them as a, um, it, it's an ongoing gift or ability that, that someone is, is given by, empowered through the Holy Spirit to, to express. But there are times where it may not be a gift that you see regularly uh, used or expounded in your life, but a situation calls for it, and God will, through you, work in that gift in that situation. All right? The, he, God is never going to, like, you are never going to find your, yourself in a spot where, where a situation happens, and you're, you're calling on God, and God's going, man, that person just had the, the gift of knowledge. I could tell them this thing and this whole situation would be around. Pick the wrong one. No. <laughs> if it is sovereignty, he deems that that's what's going to happen. He's going to speak that into, into, your, into your heart, into your spirit in that moment, regardless of what you would consider your gifting. It's amazing that Jesus invites us to join him in his mission. And that's really what the gifts of the Spirit are, are, are all about. Um, I said last week that we'd be coming back to, to chapter 13 because it's, it's the cornerstone of the gifts, but it's a separate discussion. So, so we're, we're now at the end of 12. Just put a pause on 13. We're going to come back to that to, uh, next week. Um, and we're going to keep, keep moving on, on to 14. Uh, as we've seen before in the first century, they, they like to emphasize things sometimes by putting the, the main thing in the middle of their sentence or the middle of their passage or the middle of their text instead of at the beginning and the end. It's really confusing for us because we don't work that way. <laughs> and so uh, chapter 13 is kind of the, the, the big emphasis, the big thing he's trying to, he's trying to counterbalance this, this thing with the gifts for, but he puts it in the middle. So we're going to scooch it onto the end so our western brains can can focus a little better um so we're going to continue in chapter 14 and in the case of the the church at corinth he in 14 he's going to focus a little more on that's like the solutions for their specific issues and what was going on there and, and what was going on there was was not a lack of gifts Right, so there are churches, there are times in Scripture um, where that is the issue, um, where, where there, there's not a, there's the, the, the Spirit is not uh, free to do His work amongst the people. That was not the case in Corinth. In fact, they, they had a, they had the opposite problem. They had what felt like an overabundance of gifts. There were so many people that, that were, were gifted and had gifts that were trying to use them that, that, that the services were kind of devolving into being unintelligible because everybody was trying to use their gifts at the same time and it was getting uh, chaotic and, and, and a, a, little, a, little, a little weird, a little, a little hard, to, um, hard to know what was going on and maybe a, a little uncomfortable, I don't know. Um, I've been in some of those, those church services. I don't, I don't know where your background's from or, or your, your expressions, but, but I, I've seen that similar thing where out of a genuine heart, everybody wants to, to bring what they feel the Lord is, is leading them to and things get just, they get long and you can't really hear or understand what anybody's saying because everybody's kind of talking at once. 
And so Paul finishes this section with some instructions on how to minister together. How do we, how do, we do this? How do we meet together with, with these gifts that, that, that God has, has given us in a way that is truly edifying to everybody? And for us, we can see some valuable insights on what it can look like when we meet. However, there are some differences between their meetings and our meetings that we have to take into to consideration um, and, and because this is all about, Paul is advising on how to have a meeting. And if the meeting's different, there may be some different, different expressions or different ways that we have to go about doing the same thing, right? Um, their meetings were closed meetings. Ours are open. Okay? So you did, first century church was in a home. Um, you, you didn't just walk into some, strangers didn't just walk into somebody's house, you know, they, you had an invitation, somebody invited you. It was mostly believers because, um, back in, in the early days of the church, you got, you would, you would be evangelized to, you would, you more than likely would have learned about Jesus, heard about Jesus, received Jesus, um, probably been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but before you ever even made it to the church. The church meeting. Um, but they were, they were closed meetings. Ours are open. So we have a much higher percentage of people that, that aren't in actual relationship with each other. We have a, a larger percentage of people that, that haven't, haven't met Jesus yet. Um, their meetings were smaller than, than, than ours. They were meeting in homes. So you had a, a less, smaller number of people trying to participate their level of relationship was much tighter because it was a closed meeting and because of the culture they were in. If you were in the church, you were in the church. And that was the only thing you were in because by being in the church, you had been kicked out of all the other groups, right? You, you, didn't, you weren't a part of anything else. And so their, their accountability to each other, their trust in each other, their, um, just their understanding of each other was much greater than, than, than what we have. Um, Sadly. Also, their commitment level. If you had an issue with somebody in the church, figure it out. Because there was no other church down the street to go to. <laughs> you, were, you were stuck with each other. And, there was, and, and, and while that, that maybe brought up some drama at different times, there is a, there is, um, there is a power in commitment. There's a power in being stuck with each other. That's part of, part of the, 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 the mystery and the, the majesty of marriage. It, 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 it's, we, we, we have to, we will work this thing out because we don't have a choice. And sometimes that's all the motivation that, that you, uh, that's all the motivation you have, but it can, that can be enough to overcome the division, right? <laughs> it's like, well, we got to fix this. Whereas if that commitment level was not there, if there was an option B to just walk out of it or go to the next, you know, the church down the street, that'd be an easier way to resolve the conflict. We would maybe choose that. So those are some differences. Um, it's important to realize that, that we need to understand that Paul is giving Holy Spirit-inspired guidance to the church. And while, while these principles are always true, the specific execution was not intended to be universal or, or a complete order of service. We talked about this. Because there's also a lot that's left out of this section that we know of. He, he doesn't talk about uh, how to eat the meal. 
and we know that a central part was just talking with, with uh, I can never decide in the moment if I'm supposed to call him dad or Pastor Tori. Um, <laughs> him. <laughs> Before service. Uh, about just this idea of communion and how, how different our understanding of it is from, from the early church and how in the first century it was, it was a meal. It was a, it was a holiday. It was, it was, there was so much more to it than, than what, what we approach. So, but there's no mention here of how to do the, the meal or the love feast that, that would have come along with the meetings. There's no discussion here about fellowship time, when you're supposed to meet. There's no mention here about how often or how long the meetings should be. There's nothing here, uh, you know, they, they didn't have departments like we do. Right? We've got kids ministry and youth ministry and uh, you know, all the, the different things that, that we have um, in, in our kind of modern expression of church. Now, I point this out to not to give us a pass to do whatever we want, just the, actually the opposite. Uh, rather, I want to put a responsibility on us that, that we have to discern how we meet, that it matters, and that there is, that, that, that God has given us some principles. God has given us some priorities in Scripture. And we should be evaluating and trying our best to emulate those as, as best we can. So we can meet in the way that the Lord would be pleased. So that we can meet in the way within the guidelines that he has set up. So that, so that we can meet in a way that works in, in our culture and our context, but stays true to, to, to the things that really matter to God in our meetings. So we continue on. We see some of these, see a little bit of these, these uh, further instructions. Um, chapter 14 says, starting in verse 1, it says, Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities that the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. If you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will only be talking to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what, are, what you are saying, so that the whole church will be strengthened. So here we have two primary, this chapter deals with two gifts, right? Gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And the reason that these are the two gifts that are, that are, are discussed and kind of highlighted is not because they're more important than the other ones. These just are the two that happen to be causing the, the difficulty in their meetings. <laughs> um, these are the two that needed clarification. So all gifts are a result of being what, what the Bible calls uh, filled with the Spirit. Or some people may use the phrase baptized in the Spirit. I personally, I prefer filled. I think it's, it's a little uh, more e easier for us to understand. I think it paints a little better picture, in our, more accurate picture in our mind. So, so before we go any further into the individual gift expressions, I want to look at some verses that just talk about being filled with the Spirit. Because that, that's really the, the root of, of these expressions, right? And so that's, we, we need to make sure we, we cover that a, a bit first. So Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8 9 says, But you are not controlled by your, your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. 
If you have the Spirit of God living, if you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. So here we, we see that the reason I put this verse in there is I want to show, first off, foundationally, that, that we receive God's Spirit upon salvation. Okay? This is, this, and it, it is not a different Spirit that you get when, we, when you experience what we would call the being filled with the Spirit. That is the, it is the, the Spirit of Christ comes into us w w when we become, um, when we become Christians, when we become saved, when we become a follower of Jesus. How are you, how are you, you understand that, that, uh, experience? And that's important to know that, that it's, it, it's not a different spirit. You're not a junior Christian, um, <laughs> if, you, if, if you've not been filled with the Spirit. Um, even that phrase, it's, I know it's the one that you use in Scripture, and, and we'll, we'll continue to use it. But the problem with using the phrase filled in, scripture, filled in the Spirit to, to, to ex, uh, explain or to talk about the, this equipping that, that's in, we'll talk about the purpose here in a minute, um, is it, it kind of makes an inference that isn't intended, that, that, that you didn't have the Spirit before. And that's not true. It's not true at all. And that wasn't the intention. That's just kind of, I think, translation is just the way, way it happens. Um, so, uh, all right, moving on. So Acts 2, uh, verse 3 says, Then, look, then what looked like tongues of, uh, uh, flames, of tongue, uh, flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So here we see an instance of existing followers of Jesus. This is in the upper room. Jesus has, has ascended. This is the instance of the first filling of the Holy Spirit. All of the people in the room were already followers of Jesus, right? These were, um, these were the people that are going to start the church. Um, minus Paul. He wasn't, he wasn't there yet. Um, here we have an instance uh, of, of an indwelling experience after salvation. So we do see that there is some other experience, some other event that happens outside of salvation that is significant. And we see it there, and then we see some other instances of that. In Acts 11, um, starting in verse 13, it says, He, that's uh, Cornelius, was the, the guy, told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and told him um, to send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter, and he will tell you how you and everyone in your household can be saved. And so this is the story of really the first, the first Gentile mission um, in, in Acts. And, and so uh, Peter goes to this guy and, is, and he says, And as I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as, just uh, fell on us just as at the beginning. So here, here we have a, another instance of the Holy Spirit coming on them. And notice he said, fell on us, not fell on them. Because the filling of the Holy Spirit is not, a, not just a one-time instance. It is, it is a life of, of being filled. It is, it is a relationship. It is a continual renewal of God's presence and his, and his purpose and his power in our lives. And if we go on a little further in Acts 19, um, Paul's talking. He says, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who was coming later, meaning Jesus. And as, 
as they heard this, they were baptized in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. So here we see uh, a different instance, two, two kind of separate but right on the heels of each other experiences, right? We have, they were, uh, they were, they believed in Jesus, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then they were prayed for, and they, they experienced a, a separate um, filling of, of the Holy Spirit. Um, and the thing I want us to get out of this particular verse is, it, it, it shows the distance between, that this is not a matter of information. There was no Bible school between verse 5 and verse 6. The, the filling of the Holy Spirit is, is about our relationship with God, is about the, the God of the universe indwelling us on in another level and another uh, and in, increasing our capacity to connect with Him and to reflect Him and His will and His, and His authority in the earth. It's not just about information. Because here we have somebody that... that the verse before didn't even know the difference between like John's baptism and Jesus. They just found out about it and they're receiving the Holy Spirit. Listen, when you trust in Jesus, you are saved. You are a new creation. The Holy Spirit indwells you through the power of Jesus and your spirit comes alive in Christ. At that moment, you are saved. You can be led by the Spirit. He can communicate with you. You can, you can pray and see, see God move in your life and in the lives of others. You can lead others to Jesus. That is all true. But Scripture also teaches there is another filling or baptism, if you want to use that word, um, in which the Spirit empowers and calls us to something more, something deeper, something something greater in its effect. Listen, there's nothing there's nothing that's going to happen to you that is greater for you personally than your salvation. It's not greater in impact to you. It's just greater in your impact to others. Um, it's a greater call to us. It's a, it's a call and an empowerment for greater submission to the, to the Lord's leadership. It's a, it's a call. It's an empowerment. We get these gifts that, that they begin to be evidenced and begin to flourish in our life. It's an empowerment where the Spirit's voice gets louder inside of us. That we can hear Him more clearly. We can obey Him more severely. And we can, in doing so, we are equipped um, to reflect God and, and, and equip and empower and, and help each other in ways that we couldn't just on our own. And that is the, the primary uh, purpose of, of the gifts. We've seen it over and over in Scripture. That there's, there's an initial instance where this happens, but that this is just the beginning of a life of fillings and continual relational growth for the purpose of service. For the purpose of service. That's the, the primary purpose uh, of, of this, the, the, the filling. Why? Because that, we talked about last week, that's, that's what the Holy Spirit that's his mission. And so when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are just cooperating with him in the mission that he is in the earth to do. We see, you can go back to the Old Testament and see this. There are accounts of the Old Testament where, where 
where the Holy Spirit fills an individual. It wasn't super regularly, but, but you, you saw this. And you see this largely in, in the heroes of, uh, of Israel, right? In, in Samson and David and some and the other judges. That it would say that the Spirit came upon them. Um, it was always for a purpose. It was, always, it was always for the sake of the freedom of the people. It was always to guide the people back to a right relationship with God. It was always so that um, to execute God's will amongst his people. That was the purpose. And when we're talking about being filled with the Spirit, that's, that's what we're pursuing. It's not... It's not an experience for experience sake. It's not, um, it's not just so I can, I, I, can, I can be a better person. And it doesn't always, it doesn't look the same for everybody. That's the, the big picture of what it means. Uh, uh, but but then, then you have to talk about the expression of it. And what does that look like? And some people, well, you get nervous about talking about this stuff because they have a certain picture in their mind of what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and, and, and they've seen, maybe they've seen some things or some, some ex, had some experiences and they go, if that's what it is, I, I'll pass. And I can understand that. But... First, let me say, the Holy Spirit, it's a unique to every person. What he does in you and through you, and it is a partnership with you, right? God is a gentleman. Um, It can, and sometimes when when, when the initial filling happens, it can be be quiet. It, it, It can be in a service. It can be in your bedroom. It can be, it can be loud. It can be demonstrative. I, I've in my life I've I've experienced several different <laughs> versions of or, or experiences with, with this. When the the first time I would say I ever was really filled with the Spirit, I, I was really young. I don't even remember the exact surroundings, but but I am sure that nobody else knew it was happening because I was like you know I don't know thirteen or something like that. And you know when you're a thirteen year old gangly boy, your goal in life is to be invisible. <laughs> and so I, I, I remember being in, and, and just like, I'm sure to everybody else, it looked like I was bored to death because I was just standing there doing nothing. I mean, it was literally just, that was it. Now, maybe they noticed eventually because I think it was there for like 45 minutes, not doing anything, but it can be quiet. It can be simple. It can also be a little, it can be weird. It can, I'm not discounting that. Now, that doesn't mean that, that what, what has happened is God sometimes does some, some powerful things. And, and the way I explain it to, to the youth when this, this happens sometimes is, listen, God is big and powerful. And sometimes when his power interacts our bodies, our bodies just don't handle it great. Um, <laughs> I mean, really, it, it's just, I don't know how else to explain it. I, I, I had an experience, gosh, years ago, this was like, as I was coming out, if you know my story, I'd spent a good four or five years 
doing my best to not follow God. Um, but as I was coming back from that and the Lord was restoring me, I had, there was an experience um, I had at, a, at a, a conference where the Lord really just touched me and it was, it was powerful. And for like two weeks after this experience, I had a twitch. Like it's weird, like, like, like twitch. Like it was like I had almost had like a, like a whole middle section hiccups. I don't know. It was weird. It was weird. But you know what? I didn't care at that moment because God had done something so profound in my life that, that, that it, was, it, it served as a constant reminder for those two weeks. Every five minutes, this thing would happen that it would just remind me that, that God was doing something amazing in my life. We don't have to be afraid of what God is going to do in us. It can look like a lot of different things. In this chapter, he goes on to talk about two specific gifts, the tongues and prophecy. And um, <laughs> oops. <laughs> Uh, I'll say this. Uh, So tongues, we'll just, we'll try and do this fast. Uh, Tongues, there's two different expressions of tongues that we we see in scripture. One is the first we see kind of in Acts 2 when the the Holy Spirit first falls. And uh, we talked about this last week a little bit where, where you are speaking in an earthly language that you've not, you, you didn't study for, right? And that's what happened in in Acts 2 where we see everybody just come, comes out from the experience and they start, they start uh, speaking in tongues, but but these people from all over the world could hear and understand what it is that, that, that they were saying. And it was a, a, amazing thing, but it was an evangelistic, it was an opportunity for, for, for the church to begin to expand right, right then and there. Um, there. There's a second and the more common, um, I say common, still supernatural, but the, the more regular thing of, of tongues that, that we look at or we talk, we use the term prayer language. What is, what is that? Well, it's it's speaking in a spiritual language under uh, under the, the I'm say under the power of the Holy Spirit, but with the Holy Spirit. It, it's an expression of faith. It, it it seems pretty clear that that's what Paul is referring to in in this text. It's most it, he's referring to that type of prayer language. As we read, he's talking about how it, it, the purpose of it is to edify the person, and that, that others don't understand it. Tongues is, like all gifts, it's an act of faith. It is primarily meant for your edification. It's something that Scripture tells us is worthy of asking for. I was so, it was so cool. In my study this week, I was uh, you know, just doing some research, watching videos and some stuff. And I came, across, I came across this interview with John Piper. You may know John Piper. He's just a faithful servant, been preaching forever. Uh, don't agree with him on everything, but but he, he I, I love love the guy. I really look up to him in a lot of ways. And, and in this interview, they're talking about the the gifts of spirits, and specifically speaking in tongues. And John Piper's probably in his mid seventies, early eighties. And, and then he's talking about how 
not coincidentally, just that morning in his devotional time, he, re, he, he felt the Lord remind, or he, he remembered that, that it, he hadn't asked for the gift of tongues in a really, really long time. Now, John Piper, if you don't know him, he is not, he is not what you would consider on his face like a charismatic. As a matter of fact, not so. Um, but he recognized, he still recognizes the implication of the gifts. And he's 80-some years old, and he's never experienced it, but he still believes that it's a good thing and it's worth pursuing. And he's still willing to, with an open heart, say, God, I, I'm still open to it if, if you want. And, and he said, you know, he didn't receive it in that moment, but, but he, was, he was glad he asked. <laughs> it's something that's worth asking for. Um, and I don't, I don't, tongues is a hard thing to talk about, I think, because, because there's like, you can fall off the horse in a lot of ways. You can, you can just ignore it or not talk about it at all, or you can try to over teach it and over explain it because at the end of the day, it, it's an act of, it's an act of worship. It's an act of between you and God. It's a, it's a, it's a mystery in some, in some ways. I, I can tell you some things it's not. Um, tongues is not necessary proof of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I know that's, that's a doctrine that has come in and gone out of favor in different circles, but, but uh, we, we don't believe that that is true. If, if not everyone gets all the gifts, which we just read, then it, just, just by basic logic, it can't be the, a necessary sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit, because not everybody's going to get it, and but some people can be filled with the Holy Spirit and not have the gift of tongues, right? We just read that. So it's not necessary proof of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not being controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, not, it's not some um, mystic trance that you go into that, that you, lose, you know, lose control of your mouth or your faculties. And it's not given to every believer. So we don't have to... It shouldn't be a, a, a point of stress or, or a point of uh, frustration or guilt or insecurity if this is not something that, that you've experienced. Paul would say it's worth pursuing, but it's not worth, it, it's not worth getting upset about. Paul affirms it has value in chapter 15. Uh, Paul also explains its place in, in 16 through 19. We're not gonna we're not gonna read that. Uh, you can maybe read it at home. But it, it's pretty much what he says in the, in the first verses that that tongues is primarily a personal gift of edification, and it shouldn't take the attention of, of a meeting unless there's a prophetic in, in interpretation. Speaking in, in a prayer language is a wonderful gift of the Spirit, but it's mostly a private gift. Listen, I, I pray in the Spirit almost, uh, almost every Sunday. I doubt maybe any of you in this room have heard me do that. Because I ain't talking to y'all. <laughs> and I know that it can be distracting. So I do it in a way that doesn't draw attention to myself. And I know I'm probably not the only one. And I, I encourage you, have a prayer language. Come with it on Sunday. Just don't distract the person next to you. That's all. All right. 
Paul affirms the value of speaking in tongues, but he says that he would rather prophesy. Why? Because he says it's a greater gift. Why is prophecy a greater gift? Because it's more helpful for people. And again, gifts of the Spirit are for the purpose of helping people. When we talk about prophecy, we're talking about, we're talking, uh, there's a lot of sub things and, and we, can, you can, we can talk for months about, about all the divisions and the way we explain it. But at the end of the day, prophecy is, is nothing more than, than making, revealing what God is saying, what God is feeling, or, or what God is thinking, or what God is doing. In some way, it's you, you're, you're, you're saying it, or you're, you're singing it, or you're, you're painting it, or you're um, de- demonstrating it through, through a, a, a supernatural work. That's what a healing is. When, when, when God heals somebody through, supernaturally, he is, he is demonstrating his kingdom. That's the, that's the purpose of it. And that's, that's what prophecy is, in, in the big picture. It's just, it's just hearing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God, God speaks to you in, in whichever way, in whatever way he speaks to you. And there, there's lots of different ways. Um, some people, it's a, it, it, if, they're a, if you're a visual type of person, sometimes it's a visual thing. Sometimes it's an auditory thing. At least that's how we would describe it. It's all the same source. Right? It's just how, how does God communicate with us? But there's a value in it. And it's worth pursuing. And then he gives some more instruction uh, about, uh, about, we've talked about one at a time. And then the other key thing is he says, and let them evaluate. <laughs> See, and this is why community is important. This is why actually. Some of this stuff works better in a smaller group because it's designed to be interactive. It's designed to be, hey, you, you, I, I, this, is what, this is what I feel like the, the, the Lord showed me. And we're, we're reading the scripture. or God, I feel like God, God is, is saying this. And then we're going to compare and we're going to keep each other accountable. And we're going to make sure that everything is falling under the, under the, 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 the guardrails, which is scripture. Right? Because that's that is the, the that is the, the road in which we travel and we do not go off of it. So we part of it is us us sharing what we sense the Lord is, is revealing to us or for somebody else, but also saying, is this does this does this resonate with you? Is this and most most importantly, does does this line up with scripture? There should be an evaluation part of it. Listen, if you, we should be open to prophecy. The Bible talks about not be despising prophecy, but also says we should, we should examine it, right? Just because someone gives you a word doesn't mean you have to take it. <laughs> you shouldn't take it. As a matter of fact, it, it, it needs examination. Um, it, it, it's, it's something that, and you don't have to do that in their face right then. You know, you can just say thank you and walk away. You don't have to like get in a holy war over it. Um, but you should you should you should examine it. You not just automatically throw it out because that's weird, and not automatically accept it because it sounded good. Um, so there's that. Um, how amazing it is that the Holy Spirit wants to do His work through us and in us. How amazing. And next week, next week uh, we're going to 
We're going to take some time at the end of service and just um, and just invite the invite the Lord to 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 do in us what He would have a, what He wants. Um, so I encourage you to, to come back for that. Um, but there's a second part to this that we need to talk about a little bit before we do that, and that is that is the middle part we didn't get to, <laughs> chapter 13. Because if we don't do if we don't understand 13 how it correlates to 12 and 14, what comes out is really really bad. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that for now. Um, and, and, and Paul makes that that very clear. So. Um, let me pray for you guys. Lord, we, we thank you for, for your presence. God, we thank you for your gifts. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that, that you want to connect with us, that you want to lead us, that you have, you have more for our lives. Even then we, as much as we know you and love you and experience you now, that, that uh, you, you have more in store for us. God, would you, would you even now begin to prepare our hearts? Would you strengthen us? Would you give us um, a, a, a stoke in us, even this week, a desire to, to, to experience more of you, to know more of you? Not just, not just so we can, we can look uh, more mature or, 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 or be, be happier in, in ourselves, but that so that we can be more effective, so that we can, we can better fulfill your purpose in the earth, so that we can be faithful servants so that we can, we can extend and expand your kingdom both, both within our culture, within our community, and, and in, in the world and the places that we go. God, would you make us into the type of people that, that your spirit just uh, it, it has, has full range to lead us and to work through us to accomplish whatever it is that you have, you have on your agenda in our lives. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. 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 See you guys next week. <laughs>